0: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Yes, it is back and better than ever. Rolling along here, hour number two, and delighted that you've chosen to hang out with me here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests, like my friend Dave Rothenberg, live in just a second on the Goodyear Hotline. I just wanted to play one more thing for you. Dave, I think, will enjoy this as well. So I played you a few minutes ago. I'm I'm Well, let me bring Dave in so he's not sitting there on hold listening to this. Dave Rothenberg, who was the most passionate Giant fan I know, I always say he's like looking into a mirror that's blue um, because he is to the Giants as I am to the Jets. So, Dave, good morning and congratulations on the events of yesterday, which had to have delighted you.
2: Uh,
0: Thank you. And good morning, Greeny. And, you know, there's a lot of people that that sit here and they've said to me over the last, like, you know, 24 hours. Oh, you're a bad guy for rooting for someone to get fired. Um, Then I'm a bad guy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that that that's the truth of it. I think he did a horrendous job and I think it was it was certainly the right the right move for the Giants.
1: Okay, me too. was right, let's, let's just dive right in there. I'll play the Collinsworth thing later, but since you're there, let's just go there. I, I wanna go back in time. I wanna go to Sunday, and I listen to your show all the time, but but for those across the country who don't get to hear it, I wanna go back to the final game of the season against Washington. Backed up deep in their own territory, the New York Giants put goal line personnel onto the field and run consecutive quarterback sneaks on second and third down to create more room from which to punt. I want to go to the Rothenberg household. How would you describe your reaction?
0: So I'm watching the game with my 11 year old who has developed into, sadly, probably for him, a a mini version of me. And he's incredulous. Dad, what are they doing? And the funny thing is, Greeny, I, I thought, like, watching the Giants, and I know you felt like this over the years, I, I'm half dead. Like, I watch them <laughs> at, at, no, really. Like, I watch them out of pure obligation. I yeah. watch them because it's in my DNA. I watch them because I, I, I love them. Like, I, I love them like a child. Like, no matter what happens, I will watch them, and I will love them. And I'm watching this game, and my 11-year-old is like, Dad, what are they doing? And I begin to, like, become apoplectic. Like, what are they what is happening? Like I've never seen anything like this before. At the four yard line to start on second down, and then to follow it up with doing the same thing again on third down. I felt like I was just transported to 1937, and I was watching you know, like Army football try to move the, f- the down the field against like a Rutgers. I, I was confused. I was perplexed. I was angry. I was in some way pleased that I was still able to emote over this team because they've ripped the heart out from me. But I mean if that if that wasn't rock bottom, I don't know what possibly could have happened that would be rock bottom with this team.
1: You know, I I've said almost, I mean, almost jokingly, a couple of weeks ago, um, I tweeted, Joe Judge is acting like a person who's trying to get himself fired. Now, I don't I don't mean that seriously. I don't believe he wanted to be fired, but his actions, the way he coached his team, the things he said, the things he said in press conferences about other teams and then those play calls that week, he, he was behaving like he was daring the Giants to fire him. What in the end, the fact that it took you know longer than it needed to for them to make this decision, what do you think put it over the edge for them yesterday?
0: Uh, I think that certainly didn't hurt the the play calling. I think the what I think really put it right to the edge. And I, and I said this after the Bears game. It's like they're right there and they're at the edge of the cliff and the rocks are going over and, and you know, tumbling down to the, the ocean water beneath because that 11 minute rant uh, uh, after the Bears game. Yeah. And I think and you know this, the Giants consider themselves to be the upper crust, right? Like a classy, well well-functioning organization where they handle themselves the right way. They wouldn't even fire Dave Gettleman, for God's sakes. And the guy was begging to be fired for really years, in my opinion, to take shots at other organizations, to take shots at Ron Rivera, which was obvious, uh, and and Washington. I thought that was something that the brass must have really frowned upon. And then I said going into the last game, if you want Joe Judge to be gone, I said this last week, I said you have to root for something to happen, which is out of the ordinary, and it happened. I mean, you brought me on, and you mentioned those quarterback sneaks. It was it was really – it was jarring, and uh, I think that probably put it over the edge, but I think that that 11-minute nonstop diatribe after the Bears' loss was really what put them very close to the edge.
1: Greeny and Dave Rothenberg is with me on the Goodyear hotline with you for every mile on the road to greatness, Goodyear more driven. I, I did not get to hear you guys this morning. I, did, I trust you heard what Aaron Rodgers said yesterday?
0: Yeah, I I got to tell you though I I'm I'm a little disgusted with Aaron Rodgers okay. because it's like yeah of course you could you're Aaron Rodgers so I don't I mean uh, yes it was it was jarring to begin with but this is Jake Fromm. so you're you're right I mean the 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 play calls were were unbelievable and unfathomable but of course if, with Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers you're not going to call in a, a play but what what's obvious is the Giants to everyone everyone have now become a punchline. Right. Right? Like, Houston's not a punchline. Houston competes and plays hard. Detroit's not a punchline. They at least compete and play hard. And you know, Justin Tucker hit the longest field goal to beat them, and and they had the lead against Minnesota, who went for they went for two and fought. And even the last week against Green Bay, you know, Aaron Rodgers played the half, and they so teams fight. But for this whole Aaron Rodgers thing, I think it's you know, it just worry about your own house and don't worry about anybody else's houses. And you're Aaron Rodgers, of course they're not going to do a quarterback dive with you.
1: But the one thing I will say is that I think that. Rodgers, to the point you made earlier about the way the Giants perceive themselves, that when the reigning MVP of the league, someone who, oh, by the way, is going to very likely change teams this offseason, and I have heard the name New York Giants connected to it at least peripherally a couple of times, and Lord knows the Giants have the, the trade chips to make a deal with Green Bay if they wanted to, when that guy is as publicly willing to literally laugh at your coach. I think, is it a coincidence that he says that and two hours later they made the decision?
0: It, it can't hurt. And, and I got to tell you, if if that is what put it over the top, then then thank you. Thank anybody. Thank anybody and everybody that had some kind of a hand in, in pushing this over the edge. But I still stand by it. You're, you're right. I mean, he's right. It is a joke. But again, you're Aaron Rodgers. They're not going to do you know, questionable plays like that with you under him.
1: Okay, fair enough. One more thing for you here. And that is this. I asked Nuno this question earlier and I'll ask it to you. Uh, I'm giving you now carte blanche. You can have anyone realistically to be the next coach. I mean, not, you know, Mike Tomlin, but but real of all the people that are realistic options here. Who do you want the next coach to be?
0: All right, I love Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I know there's a lot of, well, he's very difficult, and he's surly, and he's cranky, yeah, and he wins. I mean, every single place he goes, he wins. Mm-hmm. He couldn't win at Michigan. He won at Michigan. He couldn't win with the Niners. He won with the Niners. He couldn't win with Stanford. He won with Stanford, right? San Diego, he won there, right? University yeah. of San Diego, College. everywhere he goes. So yeah. I, I like Harbaugh. Uh, I'm intrigued by Brian Dable, and uh, I think Biennium is an interesting option. And I don't know if you consider it realistic or not, uh, I, you know, could I offer maybe the seventh overall pick and have a conversation about Sean Payton becoming the next head coach of the Giants? So those are the names that intrigue me. Harbaugh and Peyton, if possible, are the two at the top of my list.
1: Yes, if Peyton is possible, then I would agree with you about putting that one at the very top. And I, I, I share your confidence and belief in Jim Harbaugh, so we'll see where they wind up going. Dave, I always enjoy uh, the opportunity to catch up. Thank you. Happy New Year, and let's see what your team winds up doing.
0: All the same to you, Granny, and maybe both of our teams will be functional and, and winning some games. You know, we
1: put, a, we put a full screen up on TV this morning that I hadn't seen before it went up. Do you know how many years was it? I think it was over the last two seasons that the New York Jets and Giants are tied for the worst record in the NFL.
0: It's it's no surprise. It's embarrassing and it's amazing. So, really, uh, good luck to you and your team, and let's let's, <laughs> let's have better conversations this coming year. Uh,
1: well, they can't get worse. Thank you, Dave Rothenberg, of Dave course. from ninety ESPN in New York. The free AutoZone Fix Finder service can help troubleshoot the likely cause of your pesky check engine light for free and help you save time and money down the road. Restrictions apply. Get in the zone with AutoZone. I, I did want to play this one more thing before we we move on to other things. I played you a little bit of Chris Collinsworth earlier talking about playing in the coldest game in NFL history. With chill it was 59 degrees below zero, January 10th of 82, Riverfront Stadium. I remember it like it was yesterday. Dan Fouts and the Chargers had no chance. And Collinsworth told the story, and we played it for you, about how the first time he got hit, he felt like someone had taken a sledgehammer to a mirror and that he just shattered into thousands of pieces of glass <laughs> as he fell to the ground. It was a, a, a really a brilliantly descriptive way of illustrating what it feels like to get hit on a game that cold. Uh, Nuno then reminded me of the way Chris started that story. When I just asked him about the day and it felt worth playing the beginning of it again, because I think you'll get a kick out of this.
0: I remember waking up that day and the guy on the clock radio said, ladies and gentlemen, it is nine below zero. (laughs) The wind is blowing 35 miles an hour. Whatever you do, don't let your dog outside
1: today. <laughs> How great is that story? I just wanted you to hear that one part. I, I thought that was so well told. Whatever you do, don't let your dog outside today. We're going to go play a 60-minute football game, uh, but it's not safe for the dog. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier with more than 30 coverage options available. Progressive has you covered. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Timmy Legler coming up as this hour continues. But up next... Let's do some phone calls. We haven't had a chance for that yet today. My number is 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888 The game is called What Do You Want to Know? You ask me a question, I'll do my best to answer it. Next here on ESPN Radio.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
1: 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And the game is called What Do You Want to Know? If you've got a question, I'll try and do my best to answer. Devin has stepped in for Bubba today. Good morning, Devin. Good
3: morning, Greeny. How are we? Uh,
1: I'm good. So who is our first caller here?
3: First up, we got Nick.
1: All right, Nick, you're on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Nick, what do you want to know?
3: Hey, uh, good morning. Actually, I have two quick things I'd love to get your thoughts on. One, yeah. Yeah. do you think... Some of the candidates that the New York Giants are talking about, as far as general manager, really had no interest in working with Joe Judge. And that kind of forced them to to make the change. And then also the next head coach, I really feel as though needs to be someone who has head coaching prior experience in the NFL and who has had success. Uh, You know, no more of this taking a chance on an unproven coordinator.
2: So I'd love to get
3: your thoughts on that.
1: Yes, I agree with the. I agree with both of them if, if that's the proper way to respond. Yes, I think that the fact that they may have gone out, I, I guess I have to say may because I don't know this, um, but I would be very surprised if what they were finding when they were talking to prospective general managers was not that the general reaction to working with Joe Judge was negative, maybe more so than they expected. Do I think that was a factor in this? I guess the only honest answer I can give you or the only definitive answer I can give you is I would guess so. I'd be very surprised if that were not the case. The second question, and and Nuno and I talked about this a little earlier on the show today, I agree. I think the Giants need an experienced hand. You just heard Jim Harbaugh. You just heard Sean Payton from our friend Dave Rothenberg. Guys like that who've been there and done it, who have the confidence in themselves, the certainty in themselves, I think that is beneficial New York is not a place to learn on the job. Just ask Joe Judge. Just a- and even Adam Gase, who had head coaching experience, but he did not deal well with the media. He did not deal well with criticism. New York is a place where you're going to have to deal with all of that stuff. It is its own animal. And it can be very rewarding. It can be a great place. But it comes with unique challenges. And I do think you need someone, let's put it this way, at minimum, you need someone who can roll with that. Like a guy like Rex was fabulous at it. Rex had no previous head coaching experience, but he wanted to be a star. He loved the limelight. He loved the attention. He loved the back and forth. And it helped that he won immediately. Rex started winning almost immediately. So you you get there. I don't know how Rex's act would have played, all things considered, if that first year they had been, you know, 3-13. and So I think that you need, at minimum, someone who can handle all of the unique challenges that come with working in the New York market. And experience, I think, could be a factor in that. It's Greeny on ESPN Radio. Devin, who's next?
3: Next up, we got Jeff.
1: All right, Jeff, you're on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Jeff, what do you want to know?
3: Uh, real quick, Greeny, you were spot on with that reason why Brian Flores left. I really don't think he's still a, a good head coach. I'll debate that any day. Just look at the the end of the Raider game, the end of the Jaguar game, and uh, the way the first half of the tiny game ended. That being said, my question to you is, Stephen Ross and Chris Gia make the only move they have, which is to bring in Brian Dable and ask that man, "Do you think Tua is good enough to be a quarterback, and do you want to be our coach?" And if he says no, Tua's got to go because that man knows everything about Tua. He was our, our, our OC uh, back with Sperano. He has ties to us. He's the only head coach I want. And if he says no, then they got problems. How
1: about Harbaugh? How about if I offered you? I would Harbaugh.
3: love Har. I would love Harbaugh. I like Harbaugh. Uh, just because he's a big name, uh, but I don't think we got him. I don't think we got him.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Stephen Ross said I'm not going to be the guy to pry Jim Harbaugh out of Ann Arbor, which to me makes no sense at all. If the options are Jim Harbaugh stays at Michigan or comes to the Dolphins, then I get it. If the option is Jim Harbaugh leaves anyway to go to the Raiders or wherever else the case might be, then if you're the Dolphins, I don't see why you don't make that call. And yes, to your point, Brian Dayball worked with Tua in college. He was the O.C. under Saban at Alabama when Tua was the quarterback there. Look, to me, the story about Tua has been written. I I, I think you can already see what the reality is. Uh, But the ownership doesn't, and the GM who made the pick can't possibly acknowledge that was a bad choice. So um, I think they, th- that's, that's what happens when you make a bad decision on a quarterback early in the draft. You wind up chasing that decision for a long time, and I think that they are going to find themselves chasing it in Miami. It's your chance to be a part of Greeny Nation, the Dr. Pepper call-in line, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season is over. Fans are celebrating their victory. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. Devin, who's next?
0: Next up, we got Jared.
1: Jared, what do you want to know?
3: Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Love the show. Thank you. Um, Hey, I'm a Packers fan. Uh, I'd like to know, what are the odds of Aaron Rodgers getting traded after this year? And if so,
0: what will the Packers get in return?
1: I think the odds, sorry, you caught me in the middle of a swallow of water there. Um, I think that that's all going to be up to Rodgers. Let's make it clear. They they arranged his contract. I'm not telling you anything you don't know if you're a Packer fan, but for anyone who doesn't. They arranged the contract on Rodgers in such a way that if he decides he wants out after the season, he's getting out. There are practically poison pills in it. They could never afford to keep him. So he'll have to redo his deal to stay in Green Bay, which means if he wants to be traded, he will be. What will they get for him? A king's freaking ransom. A king's ransom. I'll just throw this out there right off the bat. You're the Giants. You have the fifth and the seventh picks in the draft. Wouldn't you trade them both to get Aaron Rodgers? I have to believe you would. Nuno, were you trading five and seven to get Rodgers? The answer I, is yes. I, I don't know you. if it's yes because they don't have enough weapons and they need a whole rebuild. It Aaron is- Rodgers, they have Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony and Saquon Barkley. They have all these guys that if Aaron Rodgers was their quarterback would look entirely different. Aaron Rodgers has put more people's kids through private school than just about anybody because he makes guys into superstars. No, no. Okay.
2: And okay. So now they go from maybe uh, the wide receivers
1: go from zero touchdowns to what? 10? No, I think they go. I think, I think you turn those guys into Kadarius Tony could be a star. Kadarius Tony could be an outstanding slot receiver. He was not a first round pick by accident. Other people were going to take him. He wasn't a bad pick. He was playing on a bad team with a bad coach. They've got pieces there. I I would do it. Someone, the, the long and short of it is the response to the question, Jared is you're going to get a King's Ransom for Aaron Rodgers. You're going to get multiple picks. You're going to get whatever any team can possibly give you in order to get him back in return. Devin, who's next?
3: We got Big Mike.
1: Big Mike. You're on ESPN Radio. What do you want to know?
3: Hey, Greeny. Big big fan of you and Gullick's from 20 years ago. Thank you. Enjoyed you, and thank you for the privilege of talking to you. Just wanted to ask you, what do you think about the Steelers' uh, quarterback host for next year should we go buy a free agency and go after kirk cousins or or possibly <clears throat> matt ryan or should they put their eggs in mason rudolph's uh,
0: basket no,
1: there th- th- well th- 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 let me stop you there no i would definitely not put my eggs in mason rudolph's basket i think the question is his name just jumped out who's the uh, Pickett? kenny Pickett is the quarterback at Pitt, right and that is the guy that i have seen projected hometown guy, all that kind of stuff, as a possible mid-first-round pick. So your question, if you're Pittsburgh, is are you going young or are you going after a veteran? I think I would be inclined to potentially consider doing both. I might consider using that pick to get someone like Pickett or whichever of the quarterbacks in this draft you think you like, Matt Corral, who, whoever it is you decide you like, who will all be available or several of which are likely to be available when you draft. And then you also consider going out and getting a veteran quarterback. Now, look, if you can get Russell Wilson, forget it. You put Russell Wilson on the Steelers this coming year, and, and I think the Steelers become one of the favorites in the AFC. Aaron Rodgers goes without saying. But then you get into the other names. Matt Ryan, I think he's going back to Atlanta. Kirk Cousins? Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I th- yes, he's better than Mason Rudolph, So, yes, I think you go that veteran route. I think my my answer to your question is I do both. I think I consider addressing it both in the
2: draft and in free agency. Greeny, the podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Must be 21 plus and present in present and select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
1: So, an incredibly busy little moment we have here, working our way through the NFL firing cycle and looking ahead to the first weekend of the nfl playoffs and then sandwiched right in between we have ourselves a fabulous night of basketball tonight on espn i'll be here for countdown tonight seven eastern on espn leading into the Knicks and mavericks in the early game and then the showdown in the eastern conference between the bulls and the nets in chicago in our nightcap and here to talk about that and a whole lot more is my buddy tim legler who joins us on espn radio how you been legs
3: Greeny doing fantastically well, and I'm very glad tonight the game is in Chicago so we can see Kyrie Irving. Good. I mean, that's that's right. And let's start there.
1: There are a few other things I wanted to get to, but I'm going to play the soundbite for anyone who didn't hear it. You heard what Chauncey Billups said about him the other day. So Chauncey, who worked with us at ESPN for years, is now the coach in Portland, and he was being asked about Kyrie Irving, and he made the following, I think, pretty big statement about just how talented he considers Kyrie to be. Oh, we don't have the data. Can we put the sound up there for me, Devin, please? Thank you.
0: Kyrie is just, he's a wizard, man. You know, he, he's must-see TV. I think I personally think that as somebody that played the position. I think that Kyrie's the most skilled player to ever play that position. Just straight skill. Nothing else, just straight skill. I think he's the best that I've ever seen at the position, skill-wise.
1: So that's uh, Chauncey Billups saying Kyrie Irving is the most skilled point guard that has ever played and my first reaction was to somewhat scoff and then I started thinking about just how specifically he qualified it with skilled and I thought let's ask Tim Legley what he thinks what do you think of what Chauncey said
3: well listen you for me the way you define that is dribble pass shoot that's how I would define it those are the three skill components of the game those are the three things that you can just go put in a ton of of work and repetition on and, and improve. It has nothing to do with physical stature or athletic ability or even your knowledge of the game, IQ, any of that stuff, which all goes into being a great player. Just the simple basics, dribble, pass, shoot. When you look at those three things, he's not the, the most skilled of all time, but I understand why he's putting him in the conversation. If you really look at Kyrie Irving probably has top five handle in the history of the league, um, That and that might be extending the list further than it needs to go. Maybe he's top two, top three. He's one of the greatest ball handlers the league has ever seen. Um, you know, when it comes to shooting, you, you look at his ability to finish at his size, his mid range game, deep game, I mean he certainly can can do all of that, but I would not put him in the same category as overall skill dribble pass shoot as Steph Curry. He's not in that league because I think Steph Curry is actually the the most skilled player of all time, if you take those three components into it, and obviously, like I said, there are other factors that go into where you rank players historically. It doesn't necessarily mean Steph Curry's the greatest player of all time, but when you just talk about the three skill components, no player would grade out higher if you gave him a score of 1 to 100 in those three categories nobody's grading out higher than Steph Curry. I, I think that's an excellent answer. And it's, it's what
1: I thought of myself is, is he even the most skilled point guard in the NBA today? This, I mean, Steph isn't your classic point guard, but then again, neither is Kyrie really. And, and nothing, about right, the, exactly. nothing about the Brooklyn Nets are classic right now anyway. So l- let me ask you about this game tonight because um, it's a fascinating matchup in the East. The Bulls, I think, have been an extremely pleasant surprise. We knew they'd be better. I don't know that we knew they'd be this much better. Um, I actually get to vote for the All-Star team for the first time in my career, and I've been looking at it. And I I mean, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine make a pretty interesting, compelling case to be All-Star starters in the Eastern Conference. And you, and you look at the way they are playing. Jay Will said on my TV show this morning, he thinks the Nets, excuse me, the Bulls are the best team in the Eastern Conference and the team to beat.
3: Do you agree with that? I don't know if I put say that. I'll, I'll say this. Look, you know, you, you got to, be a little bit broader I think in your brush when you talk about who do you really expect to see in the conference finals I don't know that I would pinpoint it on Chicago and say that's the best team they're going to come out they're going to be representing East in the finals because first of all the Nets there are more chapters to be written with that team that we just don't know about we don't know how it's going to play out the rest of the season we don't know what Kyrie Irving's motivations will be later on with regards to the vaccination we don't know um, what that will ultimately look like if those three guys ever get an extended period of time playing together because they haven't had it um, in a year and a half that they've been together. So I don't know that I would specifically pinpoint Chicago. I'll say this. They absolutely now have to be included in that short list of teams that you say could get to the finals, certainly to a conference final. The thing that I love about their team by adding Demar Derozan, and I got to give him credit because you wouldn't think a guy that's been, you know, multiple time All Star, that's into his thirties, that averaged twenty, you know, twenty two to twenty five points a game year after year in Toronto, at this stage of his career, could be the most improved player in the league. But Demar Derozan actually might have an argument for that because I saw him in San Antonio, Green, and I thought, okay, this is a guy that's a mid range jump shooter. He gets to the line. He's never been a three point shooter, and when you start to get older that's a very much more difficult shot to make, the mid-range pull-up, because you don't have the same legs, and the efficiency drops off. So when I saw San Antonio and looked at his numbers and looked at his performance, I thought, okay, this is pretty much what DeMar DeRozan's going to be now for a few years, and then he's going he's to tail off, and he's going to be a guy that's going to have a hard time really being an effective NBA scorer. And what did he do? He has the best year of his career at this stage of his career. It's really unheard of for a guy to do that. And so they added an element to their offense, That allows them to control the game in multiple ways. They've got an elite, you know, star player in Zach Levine who can score from everywhere on the floor. You don't win championships unless you've got a middle area of the floor dominant player. And that's what DeMar DeRozan has brought to them this year. So I love their team. I think you've got to put Brooklyn, obviously, in there. Milwaukee is going to be in the mix somewhere. I still think Miami is a team when they get everybody back. I think Miami's a team in the mix. And I would not discount Philly because. I want to see what they're going to get for Ben Simmons with the way Joel Embiid is playing, which has been the best basketball of anybody in the league for the last two weeks. If they add the right mix in return for Ben Simmons, maybe Philly also is included in that mix.
1: Greenie and Legs, and you're touching on all the pressure points. I mean, these are for those who are not paying close attention to the NBA season. These are all the big storylines. Let me focus in on Brooklyn first. They're a tough team to watch. When you watch, first of all, I mean James Harden, who is ostensibly healthy. Um, I've never seen a person bring the ball up the floor more slowly. It looks to me like he is trying as hard as he possibly can to move as slowly as a human being possibly can. They never start their offense until there's 15 seconds left on the shot clock. He he doesn't look, he I don't want to accuse a person of not being into it, but he doesn't look like, like he is as motivated to go after something he's never done in his career, which is win a championship, as you might think he'd be considering the circumstances. That just Durant is brilliant. I get it. Kyrie's only playing road games. Can they overcome all this? Like, like Is, is there going to come a point where we're going to say, OK, the Nets now are actually what we thought they might turn out to be?
3: Well, you're not going to get me to advise anybody to lay money on it. I can tell you that because— right. Look, let's just assume nothing changes with regard to how Kyrie Irving is going to be used the rest of the year. That doesn't work in basketball. It just doesn't. You can't just take a sport that relies on rhythm, timing, and flow and have it constantly interrupted by a guy that is a ball-dominant player. It, you know, it, it would be different if this was Joe Harris, okay, one of the best three-point shooters in the league, and he had taken this stance and you only saw him on the road. You can incorporate guys like that a lot easier than a guy that requires the ball to be an effective player. That's what Kyrie Irving does. So now, when the night he's not there, you're asking James Harden and Kevin Rant to to do more, and you're also asking other guys on your roster to be ready to play minutes and play well, and then, oh, now we're going to go on the road for three, four games. Those guys are now going to take a back seat Uh, to his minutes, you now have a ball-dominant player that runs a ton of ball screen, a ton of isolation on the floor. Basketball is not predicated to succeed when you have that kind of interruption to rhythm and flow. So I wouldn't bet on it, Greeny, but I'll tell you this. On a given night when those guys are playing well, those three guys, they are practically unguardable in the half court. So you're going to give a puncher's chance, certainly, but just based on my knowledge of the way the game works, Uh, I don't see this being something that's going to end well for the Brooklyn Nets at the
1: end of the season. I agree. You can try the $45 Silver Unlimited plan from Straight Talk Wireless with Nationwide 5G on America's best networks. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com. 5G-capable device required, actual availability coverage, and speed may vary. You You touched on the other big pressure point in the Eastern Conference, and that is... What is going to happen with Ben Simmons and will it happen before the trade line? We are rapidly approaching that. We'll see if they're able to make the move. What is it they might do? What could they get in return for Simmons that will make you Tim Legler come on a show like this one and say the Sixers are now right there with anybody to win the championship?
3: I think what's been interesting this year, and I think this even surprised Philadelphia because they they got a little glimpse of Tyrese Maxey last year. And he didn't get a ton of time, but when he did, played well for the most part. Every night, sparked them. He actually became their second most popular player, even last year, behind Embiid. And I was down there for a lot of those games, and I would see the reaction he would get, even in short periods of time. The question you didn't know is, can this guy actually take a ball, run a team, and be a starting point guard, and and a high-level effective starting point guard? And if he can, it changes now what you might need in return for Ben Simmons. Because the one thing that was obvious, you can't have a primary ball handler that's a non-threat outside of six feet okay? and win a championship. So They weren't going to win a championship with Ben Simmons as your starting point guard. They were going to have to move him to a different position and add that player to their roster, or you're going to have to move him out and bring that type of player in. Well, turns out they may have had a guy that's more than serviceable now that can run point, that can give you offensive production from that spot. So now there may be different phone calls that Daryl Morey is going to make and entertain over the next month in terms of positionally what they could take back in return. What I would like to see him add, Greeny is a guy that's, and I don't, you know, without giving specific names because it's just a waste of time because most of those never pan out. Mm-hmm. They need a guy that's in that six, six to six eight range that plays on the wing that gets his own shot. Right. They don't have that. And and they lack it. And Duellen B, as great as he's been, he can be diminished late in games because he's a big guy and you can double-team bigs and take the ball out of their hand. So what are you left with after that? And and that's what they need to add to their roster. Another guy to play on the other side of the floor. So when that ball comes out of the double-team, and gets swung. You've got a guy that can attack. Get to the middle area of the floor, rise up over people and score. Get to the rim and score. An aggressive, accomplished scoring wing in the NBA is what they need right now. And I, and I think that's maybe what Daryl Morey is going to be looking at more
1: as we head towards the trading deadline. Greeny and Tim Legler with me here. Let me go to the West because um, we actually led Get Up with a highlight of this last night or from last night, this morning. Um, and, and that is John Morant. And this is a player Ooh. who, if he was playing in any of the cities that we typically talk about, I think he his name would be in the MVP conversation, he's, he's playing so ridiculously well, and his team is 15 games over 500. they They're the most pleasant surprise in the entire NBA, and he's playing as well as just about anybody. For people who aren't paying attention, and I'm guessing that's a lot of people, how would you describe what we're seeing from John Morant right now?
3: Listen, he, he, this guy you talk about being an MVP consideration, by the time it's all said and done, John Morant is probably going to finish in the top three. I'm convinced of it. He's that dominant, you know, the the, the athletic ability, and you get the you know the, the eye candy highlights with the block he had the other night, which was one of, I had to watch it ten times because I wasn't sure I was really processing what he did on that play when he did the track down two handed block above the square for a point guard. Um, we see those all every night, and you, and you get wowed by that. But if you really watch them play, and you watch how cerebral he is, the way he um, is impossible to keep in front of you. Defensively, Literally, there's not a guy in the league that can keep John Morant in front of him when he wants to get into the lane. And then once he gets in there, he makes great decisions. He's got every array of shot-making in the paint. He hangs in the air. He can shoot with both hands. He's stronger than he looks, so he can take contact and get to the rim and finish. He, he He reads every pick and roll correctly. And the thing I love about their team now, the confidence they have They've got young legs green and you saw it last night. They have a stable full of thoroughbreds that can run and jump and catch lobs and defend and and then you've got this star that if you know the game is close, he is going to be able to get to his spot in the lane and he's going to take over. So to me, what does that add up to? They're 20 and 4 in the last 24 games. And the way he has played, that spells a guy that's going to get some first-place votes for the MVP. I'm, I'm certain of it. If he doesn't finish in the top three and they continue to win at this rate, and they end up in the top four or top three in the Western Conference, that then that's, there needs to be an investigation why he is not in the top three for MVP voting because he absolutely deserves to be there. He is right there now you know, nibbling at Steph Curry's neck for title of best point guard in the NBA. And it's not ridiculous to think that you could, some people can make that argument for John Morant.
1: And, I, and he's 22 years old. Legs, this is a pleasure. Let's start doing it as regularly as we can here as we work our way into the meat of the season and the trade deadline. Thank you, my friend. I'll see you soon. Anytime, Greeny. Anytime you need me. You got it. Yeah, all right. It's Timmy Legler with me here. Again, we've got those two good games tonight. We have Knicks-Mavericks at 7.30 Eastern. We'll do countdown. So we got NBA countdown. I'll be back on that show. I missed all of last week when I had COVID. And thanks to Malika for her taking over. Um, But we've got countdown at 7 Eastern on ESPN leading into Knicks-Mavericks, and then that will lead into Bulls-Nets. So really good games tonight. And I don't even like to say this out loud, but at some point, with John Morant being as good as he is, we're going to have to start asking questions about Zion Williamson, who was drafted ahead of him, and whether or not that is going to start looking like Sam Bowie and or Greg Oden being drafted where they were. Again, I don't wish that on the kid. He's still young enough that he can come back and have a full and healthy and outstanding career. But I think there's reason for genuine concern. And if you're saying, well, Morant isn't that good. Yes, he is. Morant is that good. He's that special. And I fear for what that is going to wind up looking like someday. All right, this was fun. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. We'll see you again tonight on TV for the NBA and then back in Better Than Ever tomorrow. Same time, same place on ESPN Radio